Our scripture reading this morning is from chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Had the privilege of attending two Thanksgiving celebrations over uh, the last couple of weeks. One was held at Mamacitas, and the other was at the downtown pavilion that's overlooking the river. Uh, the food that was served at both of them may have been Mexican cuisine, but I promise you, uh, Thanksgiving was the main course. Either birthday celebration would have made the crankiest of us smile, I promise you. Laughter and good food were everywhere. But the air was just different. And it always is, I think, when people get together by choice because their hearts are full of gratitude. And for the two men of this church, Art Leonard and Doug Robertson, for whom those birthdays were celebrated for, our hearts, I have to tell you, were just full of thanks. Now, you've attended parties like that. And I remind you of that for two reasons this morning. The first is to explain what in the world is going on if you happen to be visiting with us today. You've stumbled in on a group of folks, I promise you, who have their hearts set on being full of gratitude. And not because of some national holiday, but particularly because someone has blessed our lives like nobody else has. And we've come together intentionally to say thank you. And that's part of what this morning is all about. But for a hundred days, we're giving thanks by remembering ten gifts per day that God has poured into our lives. And we're not stopping until we reach 1,000 gifts. And you don't have to do ten. But ten is just a goal that we've laid before you to to aim at. Some of you have gone way past that. And that's great. Some of you have been been able to do a couple a day. But I just want to keep encouraging you. Just take aim at that to see what in the world God can do in our lives when we return the thanksgiving for the gifts that he's given us. Last week, over 250 of you uh, came together at the foyer table out there and mobbed us, and literally we gave out almost all of these books. Uh, I encouraged some of you, if you were going to pick up a, a Key Life journal, uh, if you weren't going to keep a, a pick up a Key Life journal, to, to put one of those stickers on your phones, and many of you did that, and so we ran out of stickers, and we ran out of uh, some of the notebooks. Well, we've got more this weekend. And so before you leave, if you're a KCC member, please stop by and pick up one of these. And then also, if you want a sticker for your phone, please pick up one of those. But we're trying to do all that we can to just help prod ourselves, to help remind ourselves of just how great a God that we have. And more than that, to see what in the world this can mean for our lives. Now, here's just a couple uh, from my life. Number 317, the smell of the first winter fire. Mmm. The first decorations up for Christmas. Gail does a phenomenal job with Christmas at our house. And then how about 319? Cowboys, 10 and 1, baby. How about them boys? 320, oak leaves blazing red. Have you seen the changes of the, the trees here just in the last week? Pat Fry's contagious laugh. Is that not amazing? And then watching your grown kids nap. Watching your kids nap anytime is a blessing, Amen. But we, had to, we got a chance to just barely get a visit in with um, our, our oldest and her husband. He, he's a trainer for the Texans. They, they, they weren't able to take off Thanksgiving. But for some reason, uh, my uh, son-in-law raided. And because we were close, the, the head coach said, listen, just head on down there and see Gail's family. And so they did. Uh, and they were able to, to get in late Wednesday night about 12, 12 o'clock. And then they had to leave at 5 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. But for two and a half hours, I watched my kids sleep 
That is just a blessing. Just a blessing. To be a place where, of refuge where they could just come and feast on turkey and then just take a nap. 322 items so far. Now some of you are thinking, wait a minute. We started this just last week. You ought to be around 70-ish, all right? Well, I didn't start last week. I started about two and a half months ago. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But by and large, for two reasons. Because number one, I wanted to, to see if this thing was doable. Ten a day for a hundred days, is it even possible? And, and I've tried it out long enough now to know that, yeah, it is doable. Uh, but the other thing is, I wanted to find out is, is it meaningful? Does it really matter to do something like this? There's no secret where um, this idea came from. It came from Ann Voskamp as she chronicled in her book, A Thousand Gifts, a similar journey that we're on. A friend who had a ringside seat to her life and watched her struggle for years with depression and insecurity and self-doubt challenged her. Actually, she writes, dared her to write down 1,000 blessings that she had rather than dwelling on the blessings she felt like she didn't have. And interesting, what began as a simple exercise in faith has led to much more than just a joy-filled life. That would have been enough. It led to a New York Times best-selling book, A Thousand Gifts. It led to one of the most read blogs in America. And Ann Voskamp is one of the most read bloggers, literally, in all of America. It led to her being at least observed by Christianity Today because of her speaking engagements and her travels, that she's become one of the top 50 voices in influence in Christianity today. And as I've been watching that and observing that, some of you are thinking what I thought. Can Thanksgiving make that much of a difference in our lives? Can it be one of the bricks on the narrow road that really does lead to life to the full? And I'm here to say this morning, I don't know if it will help you become a best-selling author. Most likely not. I don't know if it's going to help your blogging skills. Maybe make you popular. I don't, I don't know. But it may... Help some of us get off of antidepressants. Some of us couldn't, not even, no matter how many things we gave thanks for, but it might help some of us get off of some of those things. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, it was the key to him learning to be content. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, it's the key to experiencing peace that's beyond understanding in your lives. And for the last two weeks, we've been looking at Jesus, and he's been living as we've watched Him, as we've listened to Him, that Thanksgiving is a key to making it through lean times when you don't have enough and through tragic times when you've had all you can stand. Now for myself, I just want to give witness to this. <laughs> the couple that you, some of you may have seen that kind of blitzed in and blitzed out uh, are from Rudoso. They just want to pop in, share in the Lord's Supper with us, and then they've got to head on to Rudoso to get back for work tomorrow. But they were at a party that we were at, and I remember this scene. I remember us sitting there and, and people talking about how things are going at, at, at our church and in our lives. And, and I remember Gail getting out her hand. She says, well, let me tell you about ten things that have just wrecked us. And we were able to go through those ten things. And after, after we did, it just dawned on me there. How depressing. How depressing that we are counting... All the things that have been stolen from us instead of the things that have been given to us. 
And I had had this book on my desk for I don't know how long. And I went back home just after vacation and I got that thing out. And I started reading it and I said, there's got to be something to this Thanksgiving. And I don't have to tell you this, but I have loved watching what God's been doing in my heart. I've loved hearing from you this week about how he's already doing some things in your heart. One couple emailed me and said, you know, we used to go to bed going through the day and thinking about all that was wrong and bad, and now we're going through the day at the end of the the day and we're thinking about all that's good and right. What a difference. Ran into someone else who said, "My, my joy tank's just a little bit more full. And one benefit to me personally that that I want to share this morning is this has made me a better worshiper. I don't know how to explain it. Maybe it's just a simple idea of you can't whine and worship at the same time. But I'm, I'm walking down this path of trying to be more thankful and be more worship-minded, being grateful, and all of a sudden it's changing my times alone with God and just me worshiping with Him. It's helping me be a better worshiper. And I almost want to say this. Not just because of what I've experienced, but because of what I've seen over the years in ministry. Friend, if, if you continue to come to this place, and this feels more like a duty than a delight, man, I want you to get involved with this, this Thanksgiving journey, okay? Because I believe with all of my heart that, a, that worship itself is a voluntary act of just gratitude. By the saved to the Savior, by the healed to the healer, by the deliverer, from, from, by the deliverer to the deliverer. All right? And I believe that if you can go days without saying thank you for all that he's done. I love the first song that we started with. It's one of my theme songs for my life. For all that you've done, I will thank you. If you can go days without saying that to him and and meaning it, I wonder if you even know him. Ron said it in in as nice a way as he could. How do you come to this meal? Do you come with gratefulness and love in your heart? It's just because you have to. You're going to pass a tray. It's what we do every Sunday. There's a difference, huge difference. The air is just different, isn't it? When you're around a group of people who purposely have come together to say, we want to say thanks. And that's what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. Gratitude, I believe with all my heart, is at the core of a worshipful attitude. So I hope you join us. Now, we found out in the last couple of weeks it's something that you definitely learn. In this series, we've been reminded that you don't have to teach kids self-pity. You don't have to teach kids grumbling and mumbling and selfishness, but you do have to teach gratefulness. You do have to teach praising and thanksgiving. And we introduce our kids to that very early in life. But what we're finding out is it's a lifelong practice, isn't it, if you want to key into joy. This morning I want to take you back one more time to the Gospels and wrap up this mini-series that we've called The Power of Thanksgiving. Not so much this morning to look at how Jesus models Thanksgiving, but I want us this morning to look and see how much it means to him. We're in Luke chapter 17, if you want to get your Bibles or turn in your devices there. Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. There the good doctor records for us many centuries ago, Jesus reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, and as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now I don't know about you, but this would have been a curious enough scene just to see how it begins. Ten guys who have been deemed outcast by the law from their society because of a disease that they've contracted that no one knows exactly how you get. But here's ten men, and I don't know whether they just were waiting for them around the bend or jumped out from behind some trees or whether they'd been behind a cluster of rocks, but they step out. How they were seen physically, I don't know. 
But I guarantee you I know how they were heard audibly. Because according to the law, anyone with a leprous disease had to declare their malady wherever they went. Unclean. Unclean. How would you like to do that today? That your worst malady, you had to walk around describing to the public, all right? Be awful. And that's what these men are doing. Unclean, unclean. But I can guess probably if there's ten of them, they've probably been together for a while and their very appearance probably drove people away. You didn't have to announce it. Ulcerated skin, missing limbs, swollen faces. Most of the time, people gave lepers a wide berth. But what we see in this little text here is Jesus welcomed them. And when he heard their cry, he said this, Go show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now that's a little bit of an interesting response for most of us here because we don't know the law that well, but the law says for you to be actually clean for the public, a priest had to see you and declare you healed. And so that's why Jesus is just obeying the law and saying, I want you to go tell the, find out from the priest, I want you to get their declaration, you're well. And to their credit, they went. They left his presence, lepers, because it says, as they went, they got cleansed. Wouldn't you love to have seen that from kind of a parade standpoint? Here they come, and, and I don't know whether it was instantaneous or whether it happened over a step here and a step there. I don't know whether it was ten steps, ten football fields, ten miles. But all of a sudden, you've got ten guys, and their, their skin's getting better. I mean, baby smooth. And, and maybe some digits that had been lost because of this leprous disease are, are returning. And hoods are being kicked off and crutches are being thrown away. Man, what a celebration. And Jesus watches that, I think. I can just see. As they walk over the horizon. And then he waits. And then he waits. And then he waits some more. Wondering if anybody's going to come and say, Thank you. The disciples stretch out on the ground. Some guys go to look for some food. And Jesus is there waiting. I can, I can imagine with some questions. What does it feel like to have your fingers back on again? How smooth is this new skin? Are there any scars? Who's going to be first on your list of people to see? He's waiting. And he's waiting. And he's waiting. Ten men leave on their way to having their lives back. But only one of them comes back. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now that's what it said in Luke, but in some of the other Gospels it says, he came back shouting. <laughs> that would have been me. Are you kidding me? This is nuts. Thank you. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and for those of you who are kind of new to this Christianity thing or maybe kicking some tires for the first time, that word Samaritan there is, is all you need to know for this morning is outcast, foreigner, uh, someone mo very unlikely to have been the one that comes back. And Jesus is stunned. It takes a lot to stun God. It doesn't take a whole lot to stun me. Seeing the cowboys go ten and one, that one stuns me. Doesn't take a whole lot to stun me. Takes a lot to stun God. And he's stunned because there's only one out of the ten who come back to say, thank you. Question. 
Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? That's what Jesus wants to know. Were not ten cleansed? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? I think those are some of the saddest words in all the Gospels. Come back to that one in a moment. Why were there not more? I don't think it's really that hard to figure out. All I had to do was look inside for me this week. Some were too busy to be thankful. Now, they planned on making time to pay the respects, but not right now. I mean, they got places to go and things to do and people to see. They've got their life back for heaven's sakes. Eventually, they'll get around to giving thanks, but certainly Jesus could understand why they're just a little bit busy. Some are a little cynical to be too thankful. I mean, they needed to make time and sure that this thing was legit. I mean, what if it wore off? Let's not get too hasty with the praise yet. Some of them are, like you, waiting for that other shoe to drop, waiting to read the fine print first, waiting to see if what Jesus might want in return. And you know the old saying, if it's too good to be true, probably is. And so I can forgive these guys right because they're a little bit cautious. Others are too self-centered to be thankful. And you can understand that. I mean, the life of a sick person, man, that can be much simpler than the life of a, of a, of a well person. Because they're going to have to get a job now. They're going to have to help with kids in school now. They're going to be expected to contribute to a society that they've just taken from. And that's quite an adjustment. So surely you can understand the mindset of, well, you know, i got a lot going on trying to figure out this new life. And then there's a fourth group. Again, all of them. Little windows into my own heart. A few of the men, I'm guessing, were a little too arrogant to be thankful. You see, these guys were never really all that sick. I mean, just given enough time, they'd have recovered themselves. They'd have figured it out. Besides, to be grateful is to admit being needy. Who wants to show weakness when you have an image to protect? And there's tons of reasons I can think of why 90% of those blessed in this little story didn't see it necessary to come back and say thank you to the one who blessed them. Too busy? Too cynical, too self-centered, too arrogant. Sound too familiar? Did to me. And what happens next floors me? Nothing. Nothing. If it would have been me, as fast as you could have said, Big mistake. I'd have given those other nine back their leprosy. Ungrateful lot. But not Jesus. He's not petty like that. No, the scripture says he took pity on them. When it comes to the ungrateful, Jesus is so much more tolerant than most of us. But please, as we saw a couple of weeks back, that should be appreciated, not taken for granted. And if this story is any indication of maybe a larger picture for our church, and maybe an even larger picture for our country. Think about this. If there was a malady that was in 90% of our population, would you call that epidemic? That's what I see in this context. That maybe, just maybe, thanklessness is epidemic in our country. 
All the signs seem to be there, don't they? How about even in us? That's why this challenge. That's why this now. What's behind the ungrateful state of mind? One word. We looked at it last week. I'm not going to dwell there long, but entitlement. We think we deserve. We think we are owed. Max Lucado tells a great story on himself. In his book, You'll Get Through This, I think it reveals the root of most ungratefulness in all of us. He writes, I was flying home from the Midwest when a snowstorm delayed my arrival in Dallas. I raced to the gate in hopes of catching the final flight of the night for San Antonio. The airport was in a state of contained turmoil, everybody dashing to their own gates. The airlines had already loaded up extra passengers on my plane, and with all the charm I could muster, I asked the attendant, are there any seats left? And she looked at the computer screen and she said, no, I'm afraid. Max said, I just knew she was going to finish the sentence with, I'm afraid you'll have to spend the night here. Or I'm afraid you'll have to find a hotel. I'm afraid you'll have to, to be on the flight at the morning at 6 a.m. But she said none of those things. Instead, she looked up and smiled and said, I'm afraid there's no more seats in coach. Would you mind if we bumped you up to first class? Max said, would you mind if I kissed you? He writes, I boarded the plane and I nestled down in the white seat with the extra leg room. Color me thankful. However, not every passenger was as appreciative as I was. A fellow across the aisle from me was angry because he only had one pillow. With the attendant scrambling to lock the doors and prepare the delayed departure, he was complaining about insufficient service. Listen, I paid extra for first class, he said. I'm accustomed to better attention to this. I want another pillow, he said. Max writes, on the other side of the aisle was yours truly, who smiled like a guy who had won the lottery without buying a ticket. One passenger grumbled. The other was grateful. The difference, <laughs> the crank paid his way in the first class. My seat was a gift. The question is, which side of the aisle are you on? Ouch. Man, that one stung me this week. And what a crucial question to ask and a crucial question to get an answer to if you truly are pursuing a life to the full. If you feel the world owes you something, sister, I promise you, prepare yourself for a life of sour hours. You are never going to get reimbursed. The sky is never going to be blue enough. The steak is never going to be cooked enough. The universe won't be good enough to deserve a human being like you. You will snap and snarl your way to an early grave. Others will be praying. Henry Ward Beekner wrote this. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks that he gets as much as he deserves. Again, I've had to face during this series of lessons that I am a lot more full of me than I am of thanks. That the reason why I don't celebrate the giver more is because all I can think of is I'm entitled to more. I think the answer for me has been our little exercise in being grateful. 
Because I got to tell you this, my heart's changing. It's changing. My heart feels, if I could give you I got a picture, you've seen one of these, it's called a shop magnet. That's how my heart feels. It's used by um, uh, those in the mechanic field when they've dropped a tool or something that they can't reach, they'll, they'll use a shop magnet to reach down there and, and it just attracts lost items. Same thing works for contractors when at the end of a job and they're trying to clean up staples and tacks and, and nails and all kinds of stuff. Other items that have been overlooked, they just use one of those and it just, voila, attracts them. And i got to tell you, that's my heart. It has been since we started this journey. The gift of a full night's rest at the end of a full day of stress. God, thank you. Vehicles that transport me in a matter of hours when... It would have taken weeks to travel that same amount of time just less than 100 years ago. God, thank you. An amazing group of muscles that enabled my eyes to see these notes to preach this message and the same just as miraculous group of muscles that enable you to hear them. God, thank you. I'm glad you said thank you to that one, all right? Our lungs that inhale 11,000 liters of air every single day, our heart that beats three billion times in our lifetime, our brain, a compact, portable, electronic generator of power that's always on the move. Thank you, God, for cinnamon spice funeral cake and belly laughs and rotel dip and puffy tacos and an eagle on the golf course two weeks ago and a fox to share my life with now and two deers that came down for Thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Gratitude gets us through the war zone, doesn't it? And we were reminded again of the war zone this week as Josh Rogers' brother was killed in a motorcycle accident. That at any moment, any one of us gets taken out. So what do you say we join the ranks of the 10% who are full of thanks? So much so they can't help themselves but get back and say, Thank you. That's who I want the Kerrville Church of Christ to be known as. That's what I want their preacher to be known as. Someone who just, every time you get around him, is just beaming with how great God has been in their lives. Someone who is regularly and emotionally full of something that says, you're awesome, rather than questioning and agitation that says, you're a disappointment, God. I shared with you last week one of my favorite mentors in my life, Nick Volchich. Young man was born with no legs and no arms. If you weren't here, you can go online and Google his story. Again, Nick Volchich. It's spelled different than that, but that's how you have to say it. But there he is, a man with no arms and no legs, with a beautiful bride and a, and a, and a great son and another child on the way. And you think, how, how did he get that? Go online and listen to his story. He will tell you one thing, being thankful for what he has, not for what he doesn't have. And every time I look at Nick and I go, if he can be grateful, I can be grateful. And another one of my mentors, I want to introduce you to him. His name is Robert. Robert Reed. I was introduced to him on the occasion of one of the Abilene Christian lectures. Here's how he started his speech. I have everything I need for joy. <laughs> I thought, really? The guy has... Hands and feet that are twisted, no, they're useless. 
He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth. He can't comb his hair. He can't put on his own underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. It's because Robert has cerebral palsy. He has since he was a child. The disease keeps him from driving a car and riding a bike and going for a walk, but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University where he received a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas for five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. Listen to this. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. And he found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him after class was done. Then he stationed himself in a city park and he started distributing brochures about Jesus. And within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord, including there his wife, Rosa. He has to date led over 200 people to Christ that he knows about. And when he spoke, we watched other men carry him in a wheelchair on the platform. We watched another man lay a Bible in his lap. And his stiff fingers force open the pages that were there in front of him. And people in the audience wiped away tears of admiration from their faces left and right. And you know what Robert did? He didn't ask for sympathy or pity. What he did was just the opposite. He held up his little bent hand. And like I would raise my hand to say thank you, he said, I have everything I need for joy. And I believe we do, church. And I think the key that opens that door to that kind of joy is called Thanksgiving. Not the holiday. The attitude that I walk through my life with. The adventure that I call this walk in Christ where everywhere I look I'm seeing how God is moving and, and doing and shaking and helping and forming and transforming. We talked last week, I had you get out that set of keys and I said, the only, the only way any of those keys is helpful at all is when it's engaged. And I'm inviting you to take this key that we're calling Thanksgiving and engage it with your life. Bringing Thanksgiving to everything. Now, I know that's a tall order that Paul says, in all things give thanks. And I heard James this morning say it in his prayer, even for the challenges and the trials, Lord, I give you thanks. That's a tall order, and you may not be ready for that one yet. You may not be able to give thanks in all things, but can you give thanks for something? Sure you can. Because you don't want to miss this party. See, there's a celebration coming, and every one of you has been invited. And it's guaranteed to make the cranky of us in this room smile. Laughter and good food, I promise you, are going to be everywhere. And the air... Oh my goodness, it will just be different than any air you've ever breathed before. Because this air is always different when people, by choice, gather together to say, Thank you! And gather they will. The grateful saved will gather, and the grateful healed will gather, and the grateful forgiven will gather, and they will all come together. And what they've been saying, by faith, they're going to say face to face, Jesus, thank you! 
And I doubt if they'll whisper that. Most likely they will come and like the one leper, shout it, thank you, and fall to their face and fall to His feet and say, thank you. And I'm just inviting us to get ready for the party, all right? That's all this challenge is about. It's to get in on the party before the party. And I really believe all my life that that is what God has called us to when He said, I came to give you life to the full. Get you some. How do you do that? One of the keys is giving thanks. And we're going to stand here and we're going to do some more of that here this morning. And if you need for us to wrap our arms around you because the trials and the challenges have just been a little too much, you're, you're that place where I mentioned a while ago, I just can't stands no more. Remember Popeye? You're at that place. I just can't stands no more. I get that. Man, I was there back in September. And I started a journey by asking God to help me with my ungrateful heart and help me to have a grateful heart. And He said, yes. We'd love to put our arms around you and help you start that journey this morning. If you're here this morning and you want to start a journey to become a Christian, we're here this morning to hear you say, I believe. Now help me get started. But we're going to sing. And I hope it's more than just a duty. I hope it's a delight. But let's praise Him, church. Let's sing.